Welcome. I'm Kevin Miller, and this podcast is called Self-Helpful because not all self-help is helpful. I'm your curator, critic, and translator of the best and brightest minds in the self-help world today. Friends and how to create true guidance and support in your life. We all know relationships are ultimately what we desire most. This is where we get the most happiness and fulfillment, yet we generally don't make friendships a priority. And as you're about to hear, there's a high chance you have been doing friendships wrong. Me too. This episode is intended to give you a new perspective on how to look at friendships and go about them and get clear on what you're hoping to get from them. My guest is Laura Tremaine, host of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast and author of Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. Sold a lot of copies of that book. Laura worked in film and television production for many years at MTV, VH1, Fox, and Paramount Pictures before pursuing writing full-time. She writes primarily to women about friendship, anxiety, motherhood, and marriage, but her new book is called The Life Council. 10 friends every woman needs. And it got my attention. I appreciate Laura's focus on women, but I recognize the need for this message on friends. It's relevant to everyone, uh, to me. And my primary interest that you're going to hear us dive into is how we tend to put way too much pressure on just one or two friendships, like our spouse, especially, or a best friend, that soulmate in essence. And the main point of Laura's book is how our relational needs are meant to be filled by multiple friendships. Uh, Another significant topic we cover is what friendship is really supposed to be about. It's not just for fun and support, but literal guidance and counsel. And few of us are allowing friendships to be this for us. Friends, thank you for tuning in. This self-helpful podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. This June 15 and 16 of 2023, I'm going to be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziegler Coach Summit. And if you're looking to influence people for the better professionally or personally, I invite you to join us. Go to Ziegler, Z-I-G-L-A-R dot com slash coach summit and you can check it out. You'll see my face on there. This podcast exists to help you find and understand the guidance and counsel that will help you elevate your personal experience of life and the way you show up for others. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Laura Tremaine and a discussion around her new book, The The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. And my belief, of course, that this relates to the friends we all need, men included. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. 
Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So Laura, as I was saying earlier, when I got this book on my desk from your agency, and it talked about the different friends that we need, it just hit a chord because it, I don't know where the impetus was or came from, but it was some years back when I started talking about it amongst the guys group. We meet every, every Friday we have forever. And I think it was probably around our marriages and how we so often look to our spouse to fulfill every relational need uh, that, that there's out there. And I thought that's just, it's not possible. I can't be, I can't relate to my wife as a woman, a mother giving birth. I mean, I just, I'm out. I, I, I can't do that. And, but she has other people that can, but our tendency to do that, you actually speak, and I didn't really intend to start the discussion right in there, but you speak to that specifically, even our spouses. And I think that's, uh, actually you've got a, a segment in the book that specifically says that, don't you? That spouses, spouse is not your best friend, actually. Let's start there because that's near blasphemous, isn't it? I mean, whenever I share that particular friendship philosophy that my spouse is not my best friend, people immediately like raise their eyebrows. Like they think my marriage is in trouble. Like they think, I can't believe you said that. That's disrespectful to him or that's against what culture says because it's become so popular. And this is a modern thing, by the way. It's This is a modern thing to view marriage this way, like in the last several decades. Yeah. But it's so common to be like, I married my best friend. Right. Happy anniversary to my best friend. My soulmate. And, it's, this is the fairy tale romance. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things about that that were problematic for me. So I was friends with my husband first. Like we were friends before we started dating. And so when we did get married, we had a foundation of friendship and I tried to make it, you know, my best friend, like this way that that we talk about marriage now. And I ended up really lonely in that season. He is the most important person in my life. He's the person I would choose to be with, you know, every day. But it is a different role than my best friend is. And expecting him to fulfill like, you know, husband stuff and partner stuff and co-parent stuff and be my best friend, like make me laugh and fill my cup. And, you know, friends usually have less conflict than you might have in your marriage or whatever. Expecting all of those things to translate to one person and one relationship. I ended up sad. He ended up frustrated. <laughs> and so I was like, this is, this isn't, I have best friends. I have a lifetime of best friends before we got married. Why am I trying to put that all on you now? That's just not who we are together. That's where, so there's my catalyst for this show right here. Not that that's the focus, but that was a catalyst of me stepping back and asking, yeah, those questions and realizing, 
oh my gosh, there's no, and it's same thing for my wife, that the, the pressure I'm putting on her to try to be everything because, and this was in a, I kind of took this out of a segment of your book, you know, for her to relate to me in what I do with my work. She can't, she's not here for her to do that on a spiritual standpoint. Maybe, um, it could be, how about on an adventure standpoint? Well, she doesn't mountain bike. That's my gig. We don't go out Mm -hmm. and do that together. And I don't dance like she does. Uh, romance. Yeah. I can fulfill, you know, that with her hopefully and not anywhere else, you know, as parents we are, but how about in mentoring and, and like somebody to give wisdom of the ages and whatnot, all these different things that of course, that's so much of what your book is out and how dangerous it is. when we look for that, well, from a spouse, but now let's go to any one person because you know, and you speak to that in just your friend list about our propensity well, I was going to say to find a soulmate. Now you do have a segment where you say ah, a soulmate person, but even there, they're not your everything person. They fulfill a certain right. category, even in that, right? Yeah. Right. So the different friendships that I lay out in the book, I just did 10 archetypes. Now I made these up. You right. can read the book and apply it to your own life. Although some of them are, are quite general and you know, a lot of people might relate to them. But just like I said with a spouse, a best friend can't be everything either. So I have space for a soul sister in the book, like someone that you feel deeply spiritually connected mm-hmm. to, that you meet on a soul level. But the two soul sisters that I write about, for me, they live in other states. They are not my daily duty friends. I have a different friend that I see every day. She's a mom friend. Our kids are you know, best friends, so we see each other a lot. Those are two different relationships. And I think a lot of times when we are looking in adulthood for like a best friend or a, a deep friendship, we want them to be all the things. Yeah. We want them to meet us on a spiritual level. We want to talk to them every day. We want them to be fun and fulfill like a fun thing and also have meaningful conversations <laughs> and all the things. And like, that's a lot to put on one person. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot for people to put on us as friends. Like we sometimes feel bad when we can't be the fun friend or we're not the friend that brings you soup when you're sick or, you know, we don't meet on a soul level, then we feel bad about ourselves. So it it goes both ways. And I wanted this concept of a life council to sort of give us all a little more freedom in our relationships to be our own strengths, to bring our own strengths to our friendship table and not feel like we have to be everything. And also to like release our friends from having to be everything, even to appreciate the relationships that our culture doesn't appreciate. So like relationships that we might call shallow, you know, they're just, they're just fun. This is just my fun friend, or this is just a friend that I mountain bike with. Like we don't connect on literally any other level, Uh, but that's still valuable because this is something you care about, something he ostensibly cares about. You can meet there and that's all. And that's enough. I I literally have been thinking about that since reading your book. I do. I've got a a group of guys that I mountain bike with some that I would never be with outside of a group setting, but I appreciate them in a group setting, but I'm not going to hang out with them individually. And yeah, some that I wouldn't do anything other than maybe mountain bike with, but there, man, I I dig that. So the freedom that you talk about, and I actually mentioned this uh, just a minute ago, my, I had uh, my, one of my daughters, she's uh, 14 years old. She was here in the office with me and I was getting ready to do this. And we talked about it and she's like, oh yeah, 
Yeah. Not having, you know, the, the, the pressure on any one friend to be X. So we'll be talking about that uh, continually. So what we've just hit on again was the impetus for me to do this show with you, but reading the book, I'm going to jump back a little bit or jump up to like the 10,000 foot level on friends. Cause it got me just to thinking about our culture right now and where we are and where we aren't with friendships. So I typed in loneliness, just mm-hmm. typed lo- just the word typed it into a search engine. I, I would uh, encourage anyone to do that just to validate this point, type it into search engine and hit the news tab. And I got just an infinite amount within the past day, like two hours ago, three hours ago on the increasing loneliness that we have. And then if you do the same thing, I think I typed in, I don't know if I typed in friendships or something along that line. And it gave me all the current stats on where we are with friends. It was actually the state of American friendship change challenges and loss from American survey center is what I got into. And it's just taken us through and we're not doing well with friendships in general. And so I am thinking why? And so I'll throw this out because as I was, as I was considering thinking, well, we, well, it said the survey said we're spending more time with our kids, like Mm -hmm. twice as much as we used to. We're spending more time at work. And then the other one that really hit, me, just as I was thinking about it, I didn't read about it, was we also have our devices in our pockets, a friend anytime we want it, whether we're sitting on the potty or we're in the car or whatever. Why talk to a friend when you can just go to wherever? And again, looking at, it seems like we are, we've lost the value, would you say, of friendships to begin with? I think we just have never made it a priority in in the current culture because the idea of friends is that it's sort of like an unending resource. Like there's a lot of people around. There's a lot of potential friends all the time. You can just tap into it like you tap into water. We don't treat it like we do, you know, when you're dating, you're trying to find someone that you have chemistry with and that you respect and all of those things that you talk about dating. We talk about our jobs as like making a choice around our jobs or our neighborhoods or so many choices that we make that are intentional. We do not talk about friendship like that. Like it's an intentional choice. We just act like it's a thing that's around like trees. But that is not true. That is not true. There are people around. So there are opportunities that abound, I suppose, but that doesn't make them a friend. That doesn't mean that we connect with them. It doesn't mean we feel like we have a sense of belonging. No one has ever talked to us past like kindergarten about how to make friends and keep them in adulthood when we're busy. It requires maintenance. It doesn't just come to you. That's the other piece, I think, when we do learn about, uh, when we do learn about friendships in childhood. We learn about them in a really specific way because we're most of us in school all day long. So we are with friends eight hours a day under a shared umbrella of having the same teacher, probably the same community and neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of sameness happening when we make friends in our earliest days of making friends. And that is what our friendships look like for the first 20 years of our life. 
And we aren't even like aware of it. Like, oh, we're we're just friends because we know each other. (laughs) You know, we see each other all the time and time is a huge component of friendships. So when we get to adulthood and none of that is true, we don't have a shared umbrella. We're not with people for eight hours a day, you know, putting in that time of relationship and getting to know people and having them know us. It doesn't look like that in adulthood. And so we get to like our mid-20s, like post-college, and we're just like, what? Why is this so hard? Why am I lonely? Like, I know people. We are unused to having to make an effort in friends because, again, we spent all this time where there was very little effort for a lot of us when we were younger. And we kind of do not even know how to write that ship. Like, we then we pour all of our friendships into our spouse if we have that. Or we become workaholics or we stare at our screens and think everyone else has all these friendships that we don't. And that's the reason that I wanted to write this whole book is because talking about this topic on my own podcast and on social media and, and stuff that I have done for years, I just kept hearing from women who were, let's say, 30 to 50 years old that were lonely. The loneliness thing, which circling back to where you started there, is... What made me be like, well, we have to we have to talk about this. Why are we lonely when we have every opportunity available to us to not be lonely? And yet we're at like the loneliest levels in history or something. I, I'll give you a thought on that as because I was considering that too, that when we look at health and wellness, let's say, let's and let's talk about America. We have more access to the best of the best in health and wellness these days in the knowledge of it, the access to the components of it. And yet we find ourselves sicker, sadder, fatter than ever. I mean, it's just a true story. It sounds bad, but it's just a stat. It's just a health Uh stat. It's not, not my opinion. And in the same way that we theoretically, and as you talk about in the book, we're connected in quotes, you know, connected more than ever. It's so shallow. And it makes me think, you know, on the, on the health and wellness side, man, it's to go get a a really healthy, nutritious home cooked meal takes a lot of time. It's more fulfilling, it's healthier, whatever, but it takes a lot more time than fast food or processed food that over here. Yeah. Creating that friendship, like you talk about putting it on the to-do list and making it a priority and going through the relational drama and whatever. Can I just, I can come over here again, pick up my device and go watch friends and, kind of feel like I'm in the friend group. I'm not, but feel like I am now on the other side of that though, then I'm feeling lonely. And yet I think I, 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 you got me wondering about that. Do we think that we're connected because it's kind of touching on that chemistry, you know, the social media connections, the Netflix binging of some friend group or whatever, it kind of touches on those. It's a voyeuristic detached, but it, it still hits on those. And we think that we're feeding that need. And yet we're not. And then over here, we find ourselves feeling lonely and we don't realize why that's where your book has me feeling like, Oh my gosh, we got to raise the gravity of no friendships face to face or voice to voice or whatever it is consistent. As you talk about friendships, we are, how would you say? I mean, we, we we're built. That's what we, that's what we must have to thrive. Maybe not to survive, but to thrive. Yeah. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA, 
the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Yes. And I want to say about the loneliness piece that I found as I was researching this book and having conversations to prepare to write this book. I don't think we are as lonely as we think we are. Okay. So we feel lonely because, you know, we are scrolling social media and it seems like everyone else is like on a a girl's trip or getting together and we're not. We feel lonely because we don't have deep heart to hearts once a month or whatever story we tell ourselves about feeling lonely and our feelings are are our feelings. I want us to have our feelings. And also we aren't looking around at what is available to us and and sort of elevating some of our everyday relationships. This is a big piece of the book and a okay. big thing that I've been talking about online is that there are people in our life that are available to see us and for us to feel a moment of connection. You can feel connected to the world and you can feel more yourself in just one conversation. You do not have to like friendship date for friendship marriage. That's what I say in the book. It doesn't all have to be these uh, deep and fulfilling friendships. I hope that some of our friendships are deep and fulfilling. I think that is a need that we definitely need to have. I also think that a lot of us are going to our kids' sports games and sitting in the bleachers alone. And we're going to yoga and we don't talk to anybody. We just go to the class and we leave the class and we go home. 
we do these things throughout our week and still feel lonely when how would our week look different if we sat next to someone at the bleachers? Again, it does not have to be like your deepest connected friend, but it's a fellow parent with a kid on the team and y'all can just have one conversation, just one connection about the kids, about the team and still feel better when you get in your car than you did when you were sitting in the bleachers alone. Same with your yoga class. If you go to the same Saturday morning yoga class every single week and you just get in, get out, go get your coffee and go home. I mean, if that's your vibe, fine. But also there's probably several other people that also come to that same yoga class every single week. What if you just made a moment, again, a five minute thing to be like, hey, I see you. You look great today. How was your week? What are you doing the rest of the weekend? Have you tried the coffee place down the street? Just a touch point with people that you see every single Saturday. Why don't we do that anymore? We don't. We just rush back to our car to scroll our phone, to get our coffee, to go home and Netflix binge. And then we feel lonely. So, and I'm not like, I I don't want to put a lot of shame on it or anything. I just want people to stay aware and look around at their their current actual life landscape to see who is there that would make them feel a little bit more connected in their day. Someone that's not on a screen. Okay. Let me ask down that thread. I'm looking at the contents of the book and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 10 or 11 categories of friends, your life council. It's 10 or Mm -hmm. 11. It's not numbered because I have the galley copy and it's just hardly done. Um, But in that, you know, the daily duty friend, the old friend, the business bestie, blah, 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 the mentor, the new friend. I mean, are there also just in regards to people hearing this, because we all have the tendency to hear somebody like you and talk about it and you say, oh, you know, you should or, 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 you know, you might have a friend here and they don't. And you said it's not the guilt anyone there that you can pick and choose somewhat too of the ones that I mean, because we're all only talking about what do you need, right? What do you need Mm -hmm. for friends? What do you want? What is of value to you? And it's going to differ. You talk about being an introvert, right? Didn't I read that? Yes. Yes. And you, I'm going to guess that there are some friend categories or social categories that you, to some degree, have said, you know what? I'm just not going to do that one. Is that fair? Totally. I I mean, a lot of the friendship categories in our lives are going to be seasonal by nature, or sort of go with our personality type. So like I write in the book about a mentor. Yeah. Well, you're, you might not have a mentor the whole of your life. Like you might have a mentor early in your career. You might have a spiritual mentor. You might go 10 years and not have anyone that feels anything like a mentor. So there's different categories of friendships. You know, when we're younger, maybe we have a friend that is super fun, like a party kind of friend. And then you you grow out of that. You might not have that later in life. Parent friends, because we're both parents, they look different when you have toddlers than when you have teenagers than when you have adult children, right? So parent friends are going to look different for you. You get to pick and choose what makes sense for you. Maybe you're not a big hobby person, so you're not going to have a fellow obsessive. I write about a, a, a friend that is obsessed with the same thing you're obsessed with, whatever that is. You might have a season without that. So you get to choose what the friendships look like in your life. The whole exercise here is to not feel like friendship 
has to look how it looks in the movies. Yeah. Friendship has to be cradle to grave. Friendship has to be deep and meaningful. Friendship can be shallow and fun and fulfilling. If that's what you need right now, if that's the only capacity that you have for the moment, not everyone has availability to have an old friend. Like they don't, that's not what their life looks like. Not everyone has the capacity to make a new friend right now. Like all of these can be seasonal. It's actually, I really am trying to tell people to not be scared by the subtitle of this book, which is 10 Friends Every Woman Needs, because you're not going to have all 10 at once. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That, That's and, a big thing. And I do want to say that that was part of the show too, because I saw it and I thought, well, I'm not a, a woman. This thing, this seems exactly applicable to everyone. Now you focus on women, but yeah, I could say the same thing. I mean, this book, uh, every guy out there, uh, get this book. And it is because it's looking at, to me, yeah, it freed up to look at the different categories and go, oh yeah, I resonate with that one. And oh yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really do that one. Like you talking about the we, not to focus on shallow, but I struggle with that. I'm not a chit chatter. It's mm-hmm. very painful for me. So I'm going to uh, a lot of the categories I'm going to bypass and I'm going to, sp- but I want to invest over here on the, actually I would be the one on the, what did you call it? The obsess, the fellow the obsessive, fellow obsessive. That's my, that's probably my favorite is to talk about those ideas and dreams and, and whatnot. And that's one that I'm going to make a consistent investment in. And I get to do that, you know, amongst my work, but I do it amongst my friends. Heck, I do that with my kids. And I even know there which ones I can do that more with. Now I need to have a relationship with all my kids. And so if there's some over here and we're talking about, you know, something else like the doggone video game or uh, what is it? What's the, what's the one that everybody Minecraft or whatever. Uh, although I have gotten old enough to even there, some of the kids go, dude, just don't explain it to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> But I felt like that too, of, of looking there and being intentional and thinking, gosh, which one of those do I, those categories do I want friends in? And now how do I foster it? And you used the word, I think you maybe even said it, maintenance, didn't you? Uh, uh, of looking at that as how do I maintain? We all know how to maintain our car, oil changes and tires and brakes. We know how to maintain our home. But what do we do with those consistent deposits for friendships? Which I'll tell you, Laura, as a fellow introvert, I have had to make those intentional decisions to do that. Otherwise, I'm the guy who says no, and I don't show mm-hmm. up, and I end up, well, lonely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. Well, two things here that I want to talk about. One is um, it it is there is a maintenance aspect to it. And for me, as an introvert, as a you know, busy, like working mom, I have to make friendship part of my to-do list. Uh And I wish that wasn't true, actually. Like, I wish I was just naturally good at remembering things about my friends, remembering their birthdays, remembering when they have an important doctor's appointment, remembering that something's going on in their life that I need to check in on. I wish that that came very naturally and organically to me, as it seems to for other people who are super relational. But for me, it didn't come natural, and I was harming some of my friendships, which I write about in the book, by forgetting to text people Mm -hmm. back, by not checking in when they were going through something. Like, I really did some damage because I have a busy brain, and it wasn't coming to top of mind naturally. So I had to fix that for myself and for my friendships. I had to add it to my to-do list. So every day, I still write down my to-do list. 
I have work stuff I need to handle. I have personal stuff I need to handle. And then I have a category for connection and relationship. And sometimes those are very basic things that other people do not need to write down that I have to write down, which is like text people back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have to write that down. And sometimes I have to sit down and just be like, I'm going to respond to all my texts right now. Or, you know, check in on my friend, Sarah. Like I have to write those things down. And that might be a personality type, but it is part of the maintenance of relationships. Friendships are relationships that we sometimes take for granted. We assume that they'll always be there, that they don't need the same kind of care that other relationships have in our life. But in my experience, especially in adulthood, they do. They need more care than we talk about giving them. So that's one thing I wanted to respond to what you just said. Friendship is a to-do. That's one of my friendship philosophies. And then the other thing is about, you were saying you kind of, you know, are the guy who will go and say no to something, not go to stuff because you're an introvert, you're going to be home with your family, whatever, and then you look up and you end up lonely. The other thing that's contributing to that, that is very popular, introvert or extrovert, is that the self-care movement, which I'm all for theoretically, Mm -hmm. I understand why this is a movement. Mm Mm-hmm. There are pieces of the self-care movement that are making us lonely. Can, can, I, I, want... can I cite one out of your book? We, yes, please. We, we may have boundaried ourselves into loneliness. Yes. That... I feel really strongly that we may have put up so many boundaries that we end up lonely and we don't understand why. Because we think we're doing the right thing by setting boundaries. We think that we are taking care of ourselves when we say no, because we are, are really committed to going to bed and getting eight hours of sleep every night, because that's good for our mental health and that's good for our self-care. And all of that is true. And I am for all of that. And also, we are missing out on a very key relational piece when we choose bed over someone's birthday dinner, because we have this arbitrary rule to go to bed at 10 or whatever our thing is, because we think it's self-care. But when you don't show up for people for their birthday dinner, to grab coffee, whatever, when you don't do that over and over again, those relationships erode and we're back to where? Lonely. It's it's so funny, Laura, because uh, so, that's, that's me, man. Self-care, I want to perform well. And bedtime is a big deal for me. So can I just say how difficult it was? And yet I did it. Uh, uh, A true story. Last Saturday, I go to a concert with, I think, four, four, five of my kids. Go to a concert that started at 9 o'clock. Dude, that's when I open my book, my fiction book, and start reading before I pass out. It started at 9 o'clock. And the thing ends, and it's 1130 or something. We get out, and they want to go get donuts. And yeah, and it, the night went on and, uh, there you go. And I, I suffered for that. Now I can't do that. Every, I'm not going to do that every night for my self care, but to make those deposits and what you got me thinking about too, Laura, is as you talk about maintenance, I like the word compliance. Um, that's not a word most people like, but if you look at, from the health and wellness side, again, at let's say nutritional supplements, terrible compliance on medications overall that, that we have as Americans, so especially nutritional supplements. Here's the thing supposed to be good for us. You don't see any big result right away. You know, you take your fish oil, you've been taking it for 60 days and what 
can you swim better? I mean, it, it doesn't really seem to not, you know, and so the compliance is terrible. Yet, we also know that it's the compliance, the day-to-day in and out that does provide the benefit. And if we don't stay on it, we lose the benefit and we might as well just not buy the stuff. And I think about that as you talked about with the friends and that, because I would be on the to-do list, which is interesting. You talked about personality style. We just had Ian Cron on the show talking about mm. the Enneagram. It'd be interesting to talk to him about this, to go through each of the nine numbers of the Enneagram and say, yeah, these numbers, you guys need a to-do list. These numbers, you guys are good. <laughs> it's got to line up there because yeah, there's a lot. I'm, I'm in your boat too. This, it's not, I'm thinking about whatever's in front of me. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, so I'm an Enneagram one and I'm like okay. the oneiest one there ever was. Okay. So I'm a to do list type of person. So it's helpful for me to write these things down on a to do list. But I will say I had a friend who was almost like offended that I was on her to do list. I read that I, in I your really, book. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is actually worth noting because, again, personality types, and this is a relational thing, she took it as like a slight a little bit that I didn't think of her naturally. <laughs> Right. Or whatever. And she was like, I don't want to be a chore. Like, I, that doesn't feel good to me, is what she said. Now, I explained to her, and we had a sort of, we met in the middle on it. But I do kind of give that as a caveat to like, you know, maybe you don't tell friends that you've put them on your to-do list. <laughs> you know, not everyone receives that the right, right, right. way. And and it was valid. I mean, her feelings were valid because she doesn't want to feel like a chore. Who does? I think she came to a different understanding of why I was doing it that way. But all of these things are not, they're not blanket um, directives, I guess is what I'm saying. I'm trying to cover different ways that you can think about it and different ways that it will help you. But so much of this is personality dependent. So much of this is what our life circumstance looks like. And, you know, you have to take that into account when you're reading the book that it's meant to make you think. It's yeah. meant to get your wheels churning, to get your journal out, to look at your own landscape. It's not like these are the exact 10 friends. And if you don't got them, you're done. Well, and the fact <laughs> that you're making it a priority, if you have to put on a to-do to, to, to do list, it seems like you should get points for making friendships a priority. And we are, you know, it, it, maybe it's not as, like, I'm thinking about my wife. Uh, she does not have to make relationships a to-do list, man. It's pretty much all she's thinking about. She will, she, what she has to put on her to-do list is like, remember to eat. <laughs> I've, I've never had to put that on my to-do list. I've, I'm never Thank not you. thinking about eating. I'm always looking forward to the next morsel that's going to go into my mouth. So different strokes, you know, for different folks in that, but to look at it and understand your propensity, I mean, we've got to do that with everything, with Anything that provides value to us, don't we? I mean, whether it is yeah, spiritual or relationships or money or work, we've got the things we gravitate towards and things we don't, and yet we need that maintenance in, in all those areas. So if we need it in friendships and need to make it a to-do list, man, the, the main thing is that we're doing it. And if I'm on your to-do list, I don't really care because if I just hear from you and know that you love me, I'm good. Right, because this is a thing we don't talk about. There are so many ways. I feel like you keep mentioning all the different ways that we have a lot of instructions on how to parent, on how to eat better, on how, you know, all these 
wellness things and growth and how we can be better people. And I love all that. I mean, I've written two books in the self-help genre. Like I am very much for personal growth. And there's an abundance of ways that we can grow well. And friendship does not ever seem to be on that list, despite it being one of the most important parts of our life to make us feel whole, to make us, you know, feel a part of the world. For some reason, friendship got dropped off of of one of the things that we talk about in order to have a happier, more fulfilled life. It just kept coming up again and again on my show and in my online conversations that that people wanted to talk about it. And there just isn't a ton out there about it. Well, I didn't. I mean, I've got adult kids. I didn't. You know, we talk about school, work, car maintenance you know, Elise, how to do all those things. I, I never sat one of them down and said, okay, guys, let's talk about your friendships. This mm-hmm. is a major component of your life, a major need of your life, which is, should be more paramount now to literally today, as we are looking at the diseases of despair, apathy, depression, even suicide at a, at an increasing, at a more rapid rate, it seems like than ever right now that we should be taking well, in this sense, our kids and saying, look, guys, this is where friendships are. But okay, as soon as I say that, I, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, but what, what example am I setting? Do they see me investing mm-hmm. in relationships? And I will say, Laura, this is interesting. In the recent, past couple of years, I have, I've always had s- some close friendships, but I've started doing some things that are, I'm not Mr. Socialite, but I have this guys, I call it the adventure group. And we do a lot of mountain biking. We went surfing recently. We do some things. And my kids just think it's the coolest thing ever. I mean, they really do. They're like, Dad, that's awesome. They want to see pictures. They want to hear about me going out and being to them. I think it feels like like, he's like being a kid and going out and just having fun. There's no, we're not producing something. This is, uh, you know, as far as uh, we're not building a business together or talking or whatever. We're just going out to, to surf. Daddy went to Mexico to surf with a bunch of guys. Half of them he didn't know. They didn't have a file for that. And to see, uh, it's you've got me thinking about that too, because I want to be an example to them on, let's say, health and wellness or with finances or with work. But I haven't necessarily thought about that as, as far as friends. So the, do they see me investing in friendships, making it a priority and doing the things, maybe even the things that may be a little bit out of my comfort zone? And I hadn't thought about it till now. Well, it's so important for our kids to see us having fun, by the way, yeah, like yeah. just fun. There's no, there's nothing transactional about it. There's nothing obligatory about it, but just letting our kids see us have fun with our friends, not because we have to or anything. And then also, you know, the other part of friendship that I want to model for my kids is that when someone's going through something, we we help them out. Hmm. We, you know bring them soup when they're sick. We let them stay at the house if they need to. Like there are serious and not so serious ways to model what relationship looks like. And I do think that how we grew up affects how we think about friendships. So I had one parent who was incredibly social. My dad will walk through a room and talk to every single person, whether he knows them or not. Like he's very social. And then I had another parent, my mom, who is very introverted. You know, she has like one friend and she's good with that, like by choice. Like she's 
not very social. She doesn't really need that to f- to feel fulfilled at all in her life. So I had sort of two extreme examples. Hmm. But because of the way that my mom was in friendship, like I never saw her do like mom's weekends away or girls nights out or even the care of friendship like I described. And so how you grow up learning or seeing friendship being modeled in other adults Of course, like anything else, that's going to affect how we view it when we become adults. And then, of course, like you're talking about, and then how we pass it on to our own kids. Just like all of these other relationships that we talk about, you know, do we want to break a cycle or continue a cycle from our past? It's the same. It's the same, but we never talk about it with friends. The other, along that line, Laura, that... You got me to thinking about, we've talked about this again on the health and wellness side, like side, like exercise. So if we go back a hundred years ago, nobody needed exercise. Your life was exercise because you were going down to fetch water from the Creek, or you were going out to kill a Buffalo, or you were helping a neighbor build a house or whatever. Life was exercise. They didn't need exercise today. We do not have to move. We all learned that in COVID. We don't have to leave our bedroom. If we've got Wi-Fi. Um, I don't, I, you know, as long as like for you and me, as long as we got a mic and a computer, we're good. Uh, we can, and we can have DoorDash deliver our food. So you don't have to leave. So we have to manufacture artificially in essence, exercise and go to a gym and ride a bike. That's not going anywhere or, or lift weights. And we're not really doing anything. And it, it's goofy, but if we're going to, again, thir- th- we, so to survive, we don't have to move, but to thrive, we're going to have to go and artificially move. And it feels like that here back to that. Somebody brought that up recently. The, you know, it takes a village to, to raise a child or whatever, but we used to have a village. We used mm-hmm. to wake up in a village and there were grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends, and they were all on top of us, you know, kind of the, my big fat Greek wedding type thing, which is a, a movie we love. Um, may have been dysfunction in there, but you had all those. So yeah, you got me thinking even back to the marriage thing, even when we got married, we didn't need them to be everything because we've got relationships all over the place. This was an additive in essence. I didn't need a soulmate. I, I just, I wanted somebody for another category of friendships. And now again, today we do not need to exist to, for base survival. We don't need or have a village at, at all. So you're saying we've got to go out and manufacture this. Yeah. So, yes. So much of this is cultural and culturally new to us to have to figure this out because in the past you had a neighbor and you had, you know, you could only walk to church and work or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the the things were, life was simpler and the culture of helping one another was you know, more than norm. Now everything is about convenience, like you already touched on. It's now feels like a weakness to have to ask for help. And why do you have to ask for help? I keep bringing this example up because it's the most apt, but like, we don't have to bring one another soup when we're sick. We can all door dash it or whatever. So all the different ways that we used to care for one another, sort of like historically, We don't need any more because we have everything in our phones. But when we are not showing up for one another and we don't live near family anymore, that's another big American statistic, particularly, is that we don't live as close to our families of origin anymore. A lot of people are moving around. They're changing jobs. They don't live near family. And they also don't know how to make friends. They don't know how to foster those relationships. Think, you know. Ways that we used to bring together as a community has fallen away. So it's not as 
common to be as involved in your kid's school. People are leaving the church in droves. All these different places where we would have found community, it's really changing really fast in American culture. And I think it's leaving a lot of people feeling like they're drowning. If you don't have a common place, community, church, school, job, if you don't have a place where that's your hub of your village, and a lot of people don't have that anymore, we're working from home, like all these different factors, I feel like I'm just rattling off the different factors that have put us in this place of being like, we don't know how to do this, and we don't want to do it intentionally. Like there's some resistance to being like, oh, another thing I have to work at? Like, I feel like when we talk about that, people are like, well, I don't, aren't you just going to tell me like how to make friends magically? It's a bummer that it takes <laughs> some maintenance. We don't want any more to-dos. I, yeah. I know. I don't either. But it's just the fact of it is the not wanting more to-do is is less important to me than feeling like lonely. I, so I have to make those things work together. Well, you talked earlier, really at the beginning of our conversation about when we're kids, most of us are in school. And like you said, and in grade school, you may spend eight hours of the day with the exact same kids in Mm -hmm. one classroom and you're with them. You by proxy have shared context. You didn't have to try to be a friend because you just, it just happens. It just happens. Uh, and you just, you, you, you fit with who you fit with and you go out and recess. And for the most part, now I, I say that and gosh, all sensitivity that there were some kids who didn't, who were bullied or, or, or whatnot. Right. So I don't want to leave that out at all, but generally that forced context, as you talked about, and then we get out and what you've got me wondering or not, not wondering, I, I hear testimony to, in so many ways, I think we have a lot of adults who do not know how to make friends and they hear a message like this and it is really daunting to go. They don't, they never really learned how to, well, if that's one of the last chapters in your book is as a, oh, almost the last, last section, part three, being a good friend. We never took a class and learned how to be a good friend. This is kind of back to Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. It's an old <laughs> book, man. You can go, anybody can go get it and get it online. How to win friends, look them in the eyes, smile, ask questions. I mean, they're the basic things, but we were never taught these things. And so if you find yourself hearing this message from Laura and wondering how, I don't know how to make friends, uh, I, in context, it's probably still been the primary thing for me. Uh, Laura, in building businesses and even in my extracurricular activities like mountain athletics and whatnot, through those, those are my friend groups, even today. It's a shared context. So I never had to go out because I had those in in there. And and how does that work? How is that happening in the workplace? Because most people, I think, I don't know the stats, but most people are still going to a place of employment. There's people around, but it feels like even there, it's, it's not as tight knit as it used to be that people, I don't know if they're more autonomous in their jobs. They're sitting at their desk on a computer and they don't have to work together because it doesn't feel like it's happening there either. I would agree with that. If you are still going into a job and I do think a lot of the workforce is you don't feel as connected because what we already mentioned is why do you need to connect with Sally from two cubicles over that seems like a lot of work when you could just scroll your phone on your lunch break. 
you could be in these sort of parasocial relationships where you listen to your favorite podcaster mm-hmm. or you're watching your favorite influencer online and you get that sort of little hit of dopamine and then you go back to your cubicle for the rest of the day. And I thought you were going to say too, because this would be me, or she's two cubicles down and you text her instead of actually talking to her. Dang it. That would probably be me. Sorry. Okay. I hear. Yeah. But it seems like kind of a lot of work. You have an hour lunch break. You don't have much in common with Sally. You know, like why would you spend your break kind of making small talk with someone or whatever. We sort of talk ourselves out of it because we can. We have other options. We have our phones. And like, I get that. One of the things I talk about in the chapter about business besties, which is workplace friends, is that they can live in only their own lane. So maybe you really don't have that much in common with Sally. And maybe you don't want to spend your whole lunch break with her. But even 20 minutes of that break or, you know, just a few, a few minutes to like have a connection will make you feel better inside. And that does not mean that you have to invite her to your birthday party. Like she is your work friend. She sits two cubicles over. You do have a shared environment. So back to the school example of like you, maybe you share a boss. Maybe you want to talk about company culture. Maybe you want to talk about your jobs. The thing about a business bestie is no one else understands your exact job like they do. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that your wife doesn't really know exactly what your job entails all day. That's the same with my husband. Like I have business besties because my husband doesn't understand anything about podcasting or the internet or whatever. Even if I explained it to him in 3000 words, he wouldn't understand it. Yeah. I would rather have a business bestie who I can just shorthand be like, ugh. My podcast equipment wasn't working today. And we can groan about that with each other. And that's it. She doesn't ask about my kids. I don't need to ask her how she's feeling in her spirit. We are just going to talk about work. And it feels good to have a shorthand with someone in your workplace. That is a fulfilling relationship. I don't want us to dismiss Sally from two cubicles over and I don't even know if this is answering your question, but I actually feel, do feel passionately about this, that we as good people, as well-intentioned people, feel like when we make a friend, then a friend is everything. You know, you have a work friend, so then you do have to invite them to your birthday party or you, you know, oh. you have to cross these lines over because that's what we think friendship is. Friendship is a little bit like across the board. A friend is a friend is a friend. And I just do not think that's true. I think, again... It releases us, gives us some freedom to be like, this is my work friend. We are friends at work. Yeah. And that's it. Is it? Well, can I ask then, Laura? So let's say to use Susie in the cubicle down thing, that me as someone who is introverted, who is, uh, which is why I've never been in a cubicle to begin with, but let's say that I was, uh, that that's a struggle for me. I'm not, I'm, I just, the chit chat and the, you know, kind of less depth is difficult for me. Would you say, okay, that if that's, if that is okay, but then who do you want to be friends with and what are you doing to foster those? Cause it, it feels like, yeah, we're real quick to say, yeah, I don't want that type of friendship. I don't like that. I don't want to connect to that person. I would, okay, fine. Then who is it? Who who do you want to be friends with that you're going to be daily or consistently fostering a relationship 
with. I mean, I hear you saying that too. They got to, on one hand, take friendships where you can get them and take the value and don't uh, overest or, or, or don't exaggerate how much value it has to be. It doesn't have to be, you know, huge. You can have lots of friends. And also though, if there are some categories here that you don't really care to have a ride or die buddy or a, or a, what was the shared obsession type thing, then where do you, and then what's the value, or maybe you should just, you know, understand the value and what are you doing then to maintain that? Cause I look at that. There's, I, I probably, I feel like I'm probably less on the list of, I'm going to have less categories that I foot that I fill. Mm-hmm. But of the ones that I do, I, I need to make those priority and make sure that I'm, yeah, go. Well, also, you are self-aware enough to know that you don't like the shallow friendship types. You don't want to make the chit-chat. Like, you would really rather not lose your lunch break that way. But you're able to say that because, obviously, you have relationships in your life where that need is being met. Like maybe you you have deep conversations with your spouse or even your mountain bike friends or whoever, like you don't need that. So that doesn't appeal to you. Everyone, like you're saying, has to sit and be honest about what it is that they do want or need. Maybe people do want the deep friendships. And so Sally two cubicles down just isn't going to cut it for them. So, okay, ignore that part, but then figure out where are you going to meet people who also want to connect on that level. Mm-hmm. If you are being fulfilled in some way that you don't need that, but then there are other places where you do feel a bit of a lack. Like you feel like you're the only person that's really into this hobby. Well, then you need to make an effort to go out and find people. This is one of the positives of the internet is that we can find other people who are obsessed with the things that we are obsessed with, whether it's a hobby or a sport or a band or whatever it is. And, and that is going to fulfill us in a different way. So all of these different types and they they range the 10 friends that I spell out in the book, they range on the scale of deep to shallow. And like you said, you, you really only need a few different types of friends. That's great. I'm really wanting people to sit and think, what is it that I need or want? Like, I've been searching for a soulmate best friend because I thought that's what I was supposed to have. But, like, really, I don't need that. I I have a sister. I have, you know, a, a certain relationship with my spouse or my job or whatever. I don't want a soul sister. I really do want a shallow one or vice versa. Like, the shallow ones, not for me. But I need to be honest with myself and my community that, I'm craving some depth yeah. and I, I want to seek that out. I'm tired of mom's nights out. Again, I'm speaking mostly to, to women in this book and in my work. I'm tired of girls nights out. I don't want any more margaritas. I don't want to get in my car at the end of that night and feel like an emptiness because we didn't talk about anything of substance. If that's you and you notice that, well, what a light bulb moment that is. You can stop going to those nights out and you can be like, actually, I would rather get coffee at 10 a.m. with one friend and have a deeper conversation. That is much more fulfilling to me. I keep trying to be the mom's night out type of gal. I am not. You know, just staying super aware of it is the first step to alleviating our loneliness. 
because a lot of us are trying to, you know, put a square peg in a round hole in in these friendship spaces because of what pop culture tells us about friendships, what movies and songs tell us about friendship. And then we just realize it doesn't fit our personality or our life. And we aren't sure where to turn. So I'm hopeful in the book that as people are reading that they're thinking about all these different things and and what they can dismiss that I lay out in the book and and what they really want to cling to and move towards. That's what it felt like to me, Laura, is to go through those 10. I'm looking at the content right here, go through those 10. And, and I, and I want to do this further and consider, do I want friendships in these areas, which are and are not important to me and who fits in those? And mm-hmm. yeah, like what you talked about, are there some missing? When I went through it, yeah, I, I right away, I saw a couple. I thought, no, no, I don't want somebody there. I don't want somebody. Ooh, I do there. I've got somebody here. Ooh, there's one that the, honestly, the mentor category is one that I've fallen off of. Um, I found myself in the past couple of days, I think it was before, or maybe even before, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was getting into your book that spawned it again. I was thinking again about that's an area that I've had times of, and I don't right now. And I see the value in there and I would like to have that, that person in there. So now what am I going to do to reach out and try to find somebody to fit in that one? Um, I do, I, do, I, don't, I don't want to forget you mentioned it in the book and you just said it a couple of times earlier, the word shorthand. And mm-hmm. it, to me, it was like inside jokes, people you resonate with people that you can just, you don't have to explain things. That's probably my, my favorite friendship right there. Somebody who's just, and I think you could probably get those in multiples of your 10 categories, maybe all of them to some degree. And yet it's, and to me, that's kind of the deeper, more context. And yet over here, when you talked about shallow, cause that's such a negative word. I, I, I was trying to come up with a, a more positive word because it sounds, it almost sounds kind of, there's a little bit of hubris to say, oh, I only like deep relationships. And yet I don't, I, I just talked about, I've been going on these group mountain bike rides and by it's a mountain bike. You're going just ballistic down a single track. You're not talking and connecting. You know, we connect a little bit, you know, at the stop points and then we go out to dinner and it's by proxy. It's just, it is kind of shallow. And, you know, maybe the guy that you drove with, um, it would be a little deeper or we've taken that same group and gone on some just all day hikes where you are talking and that can get deeper. But for the most part, it is a shallow thing. That's kind of what the point is. It's to come out and have this shared. So in that sense, I'm grateful for the shallow you know, nature of that. If I go into, I was thinking even in, in an office environment sometimes, I mean, I, I want to be friends to be on a relatable standpoint with everybody, even though I may never see them outside of the office. And it's just to be able to, yeah, it is a quick chit chat and a, a check in, but it makes you comfortable with the people mm-hmm. that you're around as opposed to separated. But then as you're talking about having the freedom to go, yeah, I'm not going to invite that person to my birthday party, or we don't have to have some deep thing. And I feel you kind of, yeah, given again, permission and use the word freedom to understand. And, and I think for me, I think more, I think just give more honor to those. Okay. I love that word. I use the word elevate. I'm like, let's elevate all of our relationships, even the shallow ones. First of all, shallow can equal fun. What I hear you saying about your mountain bike friends, even though you're not having a deep heart to heart with them, it sounds really fun. It's totally fun. Yeah. And fun is invaluable. Now, shallow doesn't have to be fun. Fun doesn't have to be shallow. But, like, we can't just dismiss that. Like, having a great time, 
we forget how sometimes, you know, like that is so invaluable. And then when you were talking about the mentor, so for me, that is, I write about it. I have a whole chapter about it in the book, but for me, it's actually the seat on the life council that has been a little lacking throughout my life. I wish that I had had more of a mentor professionally and personally, like I've lacked a little guidance and I'm feeling that lack sometimes. I wondered, as you were talking about that, we've talked so much about seating people on our life council, the type of friends we want, but the other question in the book is, who are we on other people's life councils? And so Mm. when you were talking about a mentor, and I could be wrong here, but I just have a gut instinct that you might be filling that seat on other people's life councils. I... I'm going to pick on guys. I think that that's a propensity of men. It feels like the, at least, well, maybe it's just because I'm hanging around guys for the most part. So I see it amongst guys and especially those who end up in, I'll say leadership roles often end up doing that and not being the the leader or the influencer or the mentor and not getting it. Uh, Mm. So yeah, I, I, I end up and, and gosh, you know, in the, in the roles that you are, you're an author and a podcaster, you're often leading those. And it, it, in a sense, it feels like it doesn't foster that, Hey, I need mentorship. Yes. So if I don't reach out and get that, yeah. So you got me thinking on that. You said a second ago, having fun, Uh, Laura, it was probably five years ago. And I realized that that was not much a part of my life, fun and play. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten serious, honestly, I'd gotten serious. And and so since then, and I'm so a work in progress in this, to be lighthearted, to hold things more lightly and to have fun and go play. And uh, I think about that just again, but back to self-care. And I wanted to, this is a part of self-care. Having friendships is what you're talking about. And it was interesting to me, and I thought about it just a second ago, something you said in that stat that I shared a little bit ago from that survey about they cited, they, the survey company or whatever, that we're spending twice as much time with our kids as we used to. And I wondered if that's best. And especially if Mm. we're taking away from our own like right now, do I need to sit down and play another game of Lego or whatever, or Uno with my kid? Um, I don't want to take away from that, but to, maybe I, maybe daddy needs some time uh, to go be inspired and go connect and have adult you know, conversations. So that's an interesting thing to me that if we are by stat, statistically spending twice as much time with our kids as we used to, that means that we're doing that and taking away from something from our own care, whether that's exercise or uh, having friends or whatnot. And where do we put, yeah, just connecting, even that, that word you use of fun, man, it doesn't seem, which is, I, I guess it's different than entertainment. Again, are we back to the, to the devices? We go to this for entertainment, but is it really fun? Do we really spend all that time, an hour on a screen or Netflix or whatever and go, oh my gosh, that was so fun. Right. I don't think we do. I don't think we do either. And I also, to the spending time with our kids thing, I just thought of this. You know, I think that generationally we're doing that in response to maybe a few generations that felt a little neglected by their parents. We've like swung to the other side and we are way too invested in our kids. We are like 
you know, helicopter parenting and all of that kind of thing. That's fair. But circling back to like some of the things we talked about earlier, choosing to go to a friend's milestone birthday and foregoing going to our kids' sports tournament yeah. is not a thing anymore. And and actually, I have a kid that plays club sports, so I have been guilty of this also, of being like, oh, I can't. I can't go to this celebration or I can't go to this thing with a friend because my kid has yet another tournament. <laughs> and, and our culture has been like, the parents have to be at the tournament. You're showing love by being at every single game. You know, you you hold a stat for like, I've never missed my kid's game or dance recital or whatever it is. Of course, we want to prioritize our children. That doesn't even need to be said. Of course, we want to pour into our children. And also, it's okay to miss the tournament, to go, A, have fun, like we're saying, and also to show up for our friends. And I see this time and time again. Again, I've made this mistake myself, but I see it, you know, amongst my mom friends as they're like, I can't. My kid has blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I'm- I'm totally tracking with you. I, I got a lot of kids and it gets to the point of you, you can't, but I do weigh that. And I don't want to devalue some of that. But man, I, I've got friends who they don't miss a kid's practice. Like, right. really? Is that, I mean, that's sweet, but I don't, I, again, we're weighing the value of the overall, you know, main categories of life here. And I, I could see my kids. There have been times I, I could, see, I could see them going, "Oh my gosh, dude, go hang out with a friend. You don't need to." I've had them do that because our kids, there are so many things, and so they're real quick to go, "Oh my gosh, it's a choir concert. It's going to be two hours long. We sing one song. Please go play with your friends, Dad." <laughs> you know, I mean that that makes sense. Uh, I think. Of course, we have to weigh that. Go ahead. But you must be raising. Like healthy, self-aware kids that they would say that to you. They're more self-aware than I am. They should be running this show. But sometimes people set themselves up in a relationship. Listen, I'm not any kind of parenting therapist or anything. But if you've set yourself up in a relationship where the expectation is that you're going to be at every single practice, then it is very hard for you to say, I want to go do this thing with my friend. Mm -hmm. But if we are modeling Hey, I'm sorry I have to miss the tournament, but this is a this is my friend's 40th birthday. I'm not going to miss it, dude. So like you're modeling for them that you have chosen relationship, you know, over this this week weekend thing that comes up more often and and like you said, your kids will come to a place of being like, "Oh yeah, I get it." Of course, that's the obvious choice, which is what we want. I mean, I have a a, a small section in the book um, called Fostering a Culture of Healthy Friendships, which is sort of about group dynamics, but also about teaching our kids um, what friendship looks like, which is all of this. And you you have to model it some way. And one of them is these choices. And I love it when my kids see me having fun because like you, yeah. I tend towards the serious. Yeah. And I tend towards like the heart-centered introspection. <laughs> like that's sort of my gig. And as I was writing the book and I am writing about my actual real life friends, I felt like I kept saying the same things about a number of my different friends, different women I was writing about as being really funny and light. And it was clear to me that subconsciously I have sought out people who are more fun than I am because it brings it out in me. If I was only seeking out other introspective, serious people 
uh, you know, that would that would be a vibe. I definitely, from a spiritual level, love funny, light, fun people. My husband is that way. He's not serious. And that, you know, I, I, if you're going through the book or you're listening to this conversation and thinking about it, maybe thinking about what some of the threads are of your favorite friendships can be helpful to be like, you know what? I love funny people or I love serious people because they make me think or I love people who are going to hold me accountable or I love people who are going to be planning the fun stuff because I'm not a planner, but I love to join in. Sort of noticing what the threads are in your favorite friendships, I think helps you build more of that too. Well, you've got me thinking about a, a buddy of mine who has really opened the door for me to get out of my serious mode. And it's interesting. I'm trying to figure out what categories he's in. I think he fills a bunch of them because he can do that. That's what brought us together. And yet he's the first to just say, oh, dude, let's just go play. He's the guy who were on the mountain bike ride and I'm just focused on just nailing it and going hundred percent. He's like, dude, that's a really good view. Let's just stop and let's stop and check that out. Maybe pop a bottle of wine or something while we're at it. And, and I go, really, I just don't have a file for that, as my therapist would say. Okay, we can we can try it. He loves tailgating. That's the thing. You go on the mountain ride, then you stop, put a chair out, and have a beer. And, and, and that's his, his thing. And I'm thinking of the value that that has brought into my life. And, and ultimately, with all this, Laura, it, 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 you've got me thinking back to... I was going to say to relationships, but really just my day-to-day of looking at priorities again. There's so many, as you were talking about kids, so many good things. So many, what a gift. So many good things. But for the great things to happen, I'm I'm going to have to let some of those go. Um, Like being at every kid's training practice or maybe not at every single game, which I won't be. This weekend, uh, my wife was at a women's retreat. She will miss one of the kids' soccer games, and they'll live. I'll be there. And then the next week, I think I'm going to do a race somewhere, so I won't be there. And, uh, and, and seeing the kids, they, they appreciate that. Obviously, you know, especially when we're talking about kids, it's got to be uh, you know, balanced with there are times that we are investing with them. But this, uh, that's why we did the show. That's why I, I think this book is so important is – understanding what kind of friendships we can have. And as you say, giving us freedom to not have to have everything out of any one friendship feels huge. That should take the pressure off a lot of the relationships, but also to elevate the value of friendships, which feels like we are at, I want to say, I was going to say an all time. I don't know if that's fair, but it feels like we're at a deficit of valuing friendships, investing in them. And you've got me thinking, again, I'm going to do an audit and go through this. I also want to, I had not even thought about it until you said it a minute ago, Laura. I want to go through my friends and go, I wonder what roles I fill. I might even ask, I will. I think I'll ask some of those. We'll do this as a friend group. That's a, it would be a great book to go through as friends. I hadn't thought about that. I'm sure you are way ahead of me on that. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I think I really encourage people to read this book with their friends, even just one other friend, but definitely with a group of friends. And I think you might be surprised at what comes up, like what people, different people value. It might be totally different than what you value in friendships or even about yourself. Like talking to some of my personal friends in writing this book, and they have reflected back to me the value that I bring to them that I wouldn't have even thought about myself. Like it's either very natural to me mm-hmm. or I didn't realize it was something that they noticed. 
And this is a really good exercise. It's not just stoking one another's egos. It's really seeing what your relationship looks like, how you can play to your strengths, how you can build them up by really telling them how much they mean to you and why. Like there's a lot of conversations that can come out of this book. And so reading it with a group, um, even if you don't have readers, just talking about it, sending somebody this podcast and letting them listen to it and then and then mm-hmm. having a really good conversation about it. This is what I want people to start doing. I want people to just really be noticing. I feel like it's a thing that we just are like unaware of and cannot figure out how to get out of our loneliness holes. Mm-hmm. And this is like meant to make you think about who you are to others and how you can arrange a group of people to to bring the best guidance and fun and fulfillment to your life. That's probably the mic drop right there, but I, I'm I'm just I am kind of giggling to myself as I look at this and thinking about going through it with friends, and I can see them going, "Oh, you know, the, the old friend, yeah, you're that the business busy, yeah, you're that the daily duty friend." Now, dude, you suck at that. You're terrible. That's not you're not you're not my guy for that. It would just be funny because I get that from my kids. You know, I had a kid uh, probably last year who said something like, "Daddy, I, yeah, I, you know, you're not real compassionate. You're not like the shoulder to cry on. That's." you know, mommy and that's my, this sibling and whatever. But man, if we want something fixed or want to think through an idea, you're our guy. Like, oh, thanks. And that we, we can't also be everything for everybody. That's another, yeah, you've got me thinking on that aspect. And, and in there, and I may, and if I go through there with that filter, I may find some areas where I, I want to be better at that. I want to be better at, can I be somebody's daily duty friend? Um, right. Maybe. Or if, if you have this conversation with someone and they say to you, hey, it really means a lot to me that you ask me hard questions, let's say, because that's mm-hmm. maybe part of your com- your mm-hmm. your skill set, right? So if someone says, you know, no one else in my life asks me hard questions, well, because that's something that you do naturally, it's just part of your personality, you didn't even realize that they were clocking that specifically, Mm. or you certainly didn't realize that they had no one else in their life that was maybe having those kind of conversations with them. So then going forward, you might do it with even more intention with that specific friend. So I wonder if you told your mountain bike friend, like, and maybe you have, but if you were like, wow, it really kind of stops me cold when you want to look at the view. Like, that's just like not, not... my tendency and I've really noticed it in you and I'm glad. I'm mm-hmm. glad I have a friend that makes me look at the view. He might really take that to heart and and then always make you look at the view from then on. <laughs> he will. He will and I will I will absolutely do that. And I'm sitting here as we talk and thinking about different friendships and giving them again you said elevate and and my word was honor but yeah just increasing the value and going man that, that's worthwhile even that seemingly shallow you know we just we always talk about that for a second and that's it that there's a value in that when we all desperately inherently want to belong and we want to feel yes. comfortable and uh well hey thank you that's why I wanted to do this this was what I this is what I hope for and and more out of this i think i will walk through this with some friends, with some key friends, even uh, it's probably four or five and have us talk about this for our benefit with each other, but even just in discussing it and helping increase our friendships, you know, outside of each other as well. Thank you for bringing this, for elevating friendships for us. Thank you for having me 
on the show, but more importantly, being open to this concept and this book, even though the subtitle literally says it's for women, I am like beyond honored that you like went to it anyway. You didn't dismiss it because of that, because I do think this is a conversation that can happen across the board and just hearing your take on it and um, the way that it meant something to you. It's like actually meant so much to me today. So thank you for that. Oh, I um, I'm honored. Thank you, Laura. Okay, friends, this is my initial episode with Laura Tremaine. More to come, of course. Her book, again, is The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs, that, of course, I'm recommending for the guys as well. And you can check out her podcast right now, 10 Things to Tell You. Hey, a reminder, June 15, 16 of 2023, I'm going to be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziegler Coach Summit. And, and folks, if you're looking to influence people for the better, I just can't recommend this more professionally or personally. And I invite you to show, uh, come join us. Uh, it'd be great to meet you face to face. Go to Ziegler, Z-I-G-L-A-R dot com slash Coach Summit. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. 